And I used to say we were too small to do this or we were too small to do that. But I finally realized we're just the right size. Just the right size. Welcome to episode 431 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. This is Rye Marcatilio McCracken here at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Today, Christopher welcomes back Lee Brown, President and CEO of Irwin Utilities, to talk about what's been going on since we last spoke with them more than three and a half years ago. Irwin is a town of around 6,000 and the county seat of Unicoi County, Tennessee, along the state's eastern border. The two revisit the success Irwin has seen with an incremental fiber to the home build-out over the last six years. The utility at this point has no debt and covers the whole town aside from one remaining pocket to be complete early next year. It has expanded into the county, bringing affordable 25 megabit per second and gigabit internet access to residents and enjoys a take rate of nearly 50%. In 2019, it completed the transition to becoming the Irwin Utilities Authority, which will give it the flexibility it needs moving into the future. In April this year, it connected its 3,000th customer. Lee reflects on the benefits of Irwin's strategic approach to building a fiber network and lessons learned over the last six years. Now here's Christopher talking with Lee Brown. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and I'm in St. Paul, Minnesota. Today, I'm bringing back uh, one of one of my favorite networks, um, and we're bringing back a guest who we talked to about four years ago, uh, Lee Brown from Irwin, Tennessee, who is the president and CEO of Irwin Utilities. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, Chris. It's great to be here. I've always just loved your approach. I, I love that, that you did the modeling. You found that you couldn't take the same path some others had, and you found your own incremental way. Um, but let me ask you first. Uh, so I actually have a colleague heading down there to the Great Smokies, not too far away from you. Um, are your leaves turning colors yet? Yes. We're beginning to see just some slight tint of color in the mountains, and it's a good time to, to visit Northeast Tennessee and um, every season's good, but fall is especially uh, a great time to be in in the mountains of Northeast Tennessee. That's great, yeah. And you're you're in a very picturesque community right off the Appalachian Trail. And uh, um, for people that want to get a better sense of of how you started the network, I think they can dig into that that episode we did um, in January 2017. Uh, but can you give us a 30 second thumbnail sketch of how you did it? Sure, Chris. Uh, going back, we decided that nobody was coming to save us, save our community and provide a reliable broadband service. And so we had looked at uh, broadband for about the past 20 years, and it was just cost prohibitive. And so uh, as technology improved and the price of fiber came down, we put together a plan that we could build out just broadband and uh voice over internet phone service only with no video. And we did it in a phased approach that allow us to control our uh, capital investment and also to start seeing that revenue come in early on. And it also gave my board comfort uh, that we're not gonna spend all of our money all at once. And it gave them a real uh, comfort and assurance if we needed to slow down, we just put the brakes on and uh, we never needed to, thankfully. And it has all worked really, really well. And uh, it's it's an amazing story 
for our little community here tucked into the mountains of northeast Tennessee. And where are you right now with that expansion? Do you have almost the entire town covered then? We do, Chris. We started in the very late fall of 2014 to build our first phase and connected our first customer in March of 2015. Today, we have over 3,400 customers connected and we have one small little pocket uh, of customers out in the fringes of our service area that will start construction on soon. Um, that will be the last area that we need to build out. And we've got about 500 customers up there that, uh, that do not have access to our service, but they will by the first quarter of 2021. And that will complete our entire service area. Uh, to have 6,000 people and to have 3,400 customers uh, without even having finished connecting all of them yet, it sounds like there's not many people left over. So we have a total of residential and non-residential electric customers of about uh, 8,900. So we're probably approaching half of our residential customers uh, being connected. We stay um, booked up on installs about two weeks out. And so we're, we're really fortunate that our, uh, our growth is steady um, we don't have a really big backlog, which is good for our customers. We don't like to have a four or six week backlog of installs. Mm -hmm. So we like to be able to get to our customers quickly and do a really, really good job on that install and take care of our customers when we leave, they're happy. So sounds good. So am I, am I, am I incorrectly remembering that there's 6,000 people in town or is it just that your service territory spreads pretty far outside of town and then? That's the population of downtown, of our city limits. Okay. And we go beyond our city limits. We serve the majority of our uh, Unicoi County as well. So that's where the rest of our customers Oh, come so you've from. connected a lot of the county then at this point. Yes, we have. We have. We, You know, our service area, our density much looks like a, uh, a, a large metropolitan area, but our service area is, is more rural and mountainous and so it's it's really cool when you have somebody that's sitting on top of the mountain and they've got ability to connect our fiber and have have a gigabit service sitting on top of the world yeah i believe that and and i've i've looked at the map that you have on on your website and it's i don't you know, it's not it's not topological but as someone who's looked at enough maps you can just tell by the way the roads are that there's some interesting geography and, and formations around there absolutely yeah when you see a lot of curves in the road, it does not uh, identify a flat piece of property. So, yeah, we're we're sitting in a beautiful place in the mountains, and uh, we're so thankful that we've been able to provide this service to our community. Yeah, in Minnesota, we have a lot of curves in the roads. Generally, it's uh, dodging lakes, so it's a little different. <laughs> yes. Um, when we had spoken before, John Williams was on the call, uh, and he was talking about some of the benefits to the wastewater and the water um, plants in terms of all the the higher tech gadgets that you could use to make sure you are monitoring um, all the different things you need to monitor. And I'm I'm curious if if you've seen a lot of benefits from um, to the electric side, to the water and wastewater side from the network. Oh, absolutely! Uh, that was our first venture into uh, fiber was to build a backbone and connect all of our 
electric water and wastewater infrastructure and the local school system. So that's where we started in uh, 2012. And yes, we've seen lots of improvements. And shortly after that, we, we installed the new SCADA system and brought back more data and information and have been able to use all of the technology uh, to uh, monitor our water losses and identify where we might have a pressure zone that has a leak earlier than, than we've ever been able to do that before. And it's really helped to uh, manage and uh, correct uh, leaks when they occur and, and reduce our water losses. So big benefits to electric water and wastewater uh, from being connected with our fiber. For someone whose main experience with water is just pulling it out of the tap, what does that mean that you can get earlier intelligence into some of those issues? Typically in the old days, you know, the leak had to come to the top of the ground and somebody had to identify, oh, there's a wet spot, or if it's bad enough, you'd have running water on top of the ground. But with this, now we have uh, the ability to identify different pressure zones where we uh, could possibly have a leak uh, from uh, when we see a trend upward on our uh, volume of water that's going out of our tanks and it doesn't match our historical patterns, and then we can have our crews go out with uh, leak detection equipment and begin to survey that pressure zone and identify that uh, leak and, and repair that before it possibly even comes to the top of the ground. Okay, so is that is that primarily a, a cost savings of, of not having to run through more water, or is, is there a larger, is there like a safety issue involved with that at all? I'm so several things, uh, it, it is a cost savings, but uh, we operate under uh, guidelines from the state that uh, they require you to maintain a, uh, a lower loss, mm -hmm. percentage of water loss in your system. And so that's really helped us stay in compliance and well ahead of, uh, of our regulatory requirements. Sure, I can see how that would be a benefit. You always want to keep those people on your side. <laughs> Absolutely, that's for sure. So what's changed with the internet product for the residents since you launched? I, I think you've changed your, your um, billing structure around a little bit. And I'm, I'm just curious if you can share how it's changed over the years. So when we first rolled out our uh, offerings of, of broadband, we had three different uh, speeds that we offered, a 25 megabit service, 100 and a gig. And our 25 megabit service was uh, $49.95 and the uh, 100 megabit service was $69.95 a month. And our gigabit service was, it's been so long now, I think it was $199 a mm -hmm. month. We're always looking how can we improve things, but make things simpler. So we decided, you know, the choice of three really isn't doing that much for us. And let's really try to take this up where it needs to be. And so we, we dropped the 100 megabit and reduced the price of the gig down to the 69.95. So now you just have a choice of 25 and a gig. And, and we think one day that, that the gig service is probably going to just be standard. That'll be the only thing that we offer. But we've not made that decision yet. In, all of, in almost all the networks I'm familiar with, uh, people tend to cluster around the standard tier, whatever the basic 
you know, uh, you know, lower rate is. Although we're seeing oddities in a number of places where there are a lot of people that are jumping, particularly people who are signing up more recently during the pandemic. Uh, and so I'm, I'm curious what your kind of patterns are that, that you see with which package people take. Well, early on, and, and it still is primarily, I think most of our customers take our 25 megabit uh, package, but there's definitely been with the price re- reduction and then what has happened with COVID, there are more people that are signing up for our gigabit service today than, than before. Do you see um, the lack of a cable package? I mean, that's something that you were toward the front end of, of, of utilities that were doing that. Now it's pretty common for people not to have that. Uh, have you seen any changes in terms of how that impacts how many people sign up for your service? We think it's worked our advantage. And we've got all the business that we can take care of today. Occasionally, I will run into a customer and ask me, how many channels do you have? And I say, well, we have them all. But you just have to decide which streaming service that you want to use and which channels you want. The thing that we have noticed that our installers call this their attention is two years ago, they spent time trying to explain to people how to stream video content. Today, they already know how. So that change, yeah, we were kind of on the leading edge of providing a broadband service without video. We knew video, traditional video, cable TV was on the decline we did not have any idea how quickly that that decline was coming and how quick the adoption rate of streaming was going to come. So we just kind of are at the right place at the right time. But again, we wanted to try to make our service just, you know, a stellar broadband experience and video tends to drag that (laughs) down. And if you have problems, it's going to be with video And we just decided that's not what we wanted to deal with was with the problems that came with video plus um, the margins on video. They're negative. They're just not really good. (laughs) They're not really good. And so why would you want to be in a business that causes you a lot of problems and does not provide you with a return on your investment? So it's worked out really well for us. Excellent. I'm I'm curious to see what – uh, we see in terms of the numbers as uh, it seems like a lot of people are now moving away from satellite as well to the streaming. Um, and I would assume there's probably a lot of satellite customers out in your area who may be particularly interested in coming online now, even if they're not big on the internet, they may just want to get their television programs over a, you know, Hulu or YouTube TV kind of thing. Now we have seen a few customers switch and do away with their satellite TV service. Um, and I think that will be a more common thing uh, over the next two or three years. As people have access to reliable broadband, why would you want to uh, pay for a satellite TV service? And and again, it's more traditional. Satellite is more like traditional cable TV, and it's expensive. One of the things that I saw when I was just refreshing myself is that you don't offer uh, email addresses for your customers. And it just brought back something I hadn't thought of for so many years, which was why would any ISP spend their time doing that at this point? And, and I'm, I'm just curious if that's been something that has been a pure positive for you or if it's been a little bit mixed. 
It has, and occasionally somebody will ask for that, and we will provide it, but it is just, it's a thing of the past. People just, they don't ask for them anymore. And, and that's another thing that you have to keep up with and takes up your time. And, and so we've tried to tailor our, our service to really doing the things that make, make that service to the customer just a great experience and reliable. When you've, uh, as you've been building this, have you seen any competitive response from uh, other providers in the market? Has anyone tried to come in and compete with you more strongly or have they basically just let you take the people that care about their high quality, uh, all those customers? We've not really had any head-to-head competition. We were last year, we were awarded a, a grant and our competition from the phone company was successful in, in getting that grant rescinded. Oh, come on. And they were, they were able to prove by, by some uh, calculations and algorithms that they did provide a 25 by 3 service, which was the definition of the grant. And so we got that taken away from us last year, and that kind of slowed our, our build-out down. But um, that's the only real pushback that we've had from from our competition. And so the last thing I wanted to ask you about was you did transition to being an authority. And this seems to be something that uh, is is not uncommon. I mean, um, I know that Johnson City had done this, and um, I've I've seen a few others. uh, But I'm curious if you can tell us uh, why you decide to to change that uh, structure from being a, a city owned municipality a municipality to, I think it's correct to describe you as an, an authority of the state of Tennessee. Correct, that's correct, Chris. And we just felt like it was time now that we were in the broadband business, and being an authority really doesn't change anything as far as our governance. We still have a five member board. And the city fathers approve those people that uh, come back onto our board. So that's pretty much the same. It gives us a little bit more latitude to do some things that are a little more creative and, and out of the box that maybe we couldn't do under the city's umbrella. Discussions with the mayor, we just felt like that it was the right move for us in our utilities, in our community, and and then it it preserves the the local structure of uh, providing electricity, water, wastewater, and broadband that we can't be put up on the auction block under the authority. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, sometimes cities might get in trouble, and 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 then the utility uh, could be a way out of some financial problems. And and we've seen some things like that in the state of Tennessee happen already, but uh, we just felt like it was the right thing for us to do here in our community. And who, who appoints the board then once you're an authority, Uh, how does that work? That structure can be set up several different ways, but the way ours is set up is our board would make a recommendation back to the, uh, city council, the board of mayor and aldermen, and they would either confirm that uh, uh, nomination or ask for another. 
Okay, so the city still has some role in who's on the board and that sort of a thing. Yes, okay. they do. You know, actually, there's one other question that I love to ask, and that is, I everyone I've talked to on these networks, you know, they'll be honest and say this was worthwhile. It's been hard. You know, you've lost sleepless, you've had sleepless nights as you've tried to fix things. Um, what has made it all worthwhile to be providing a service? You know, what, what what makes you look back and think all these years trying to figure it out, all the energy I put into it, I'm really glad we did it. No question, hands down. Absolutely glad we did it. Right place at the right time. And for years, I've looked at our community and because we're a small community and we have a small number of employees and and we serve a small population and and we're tucked up here in the in the mountains of northeast Tennessee and I used to say we were too small to do this or we were too small to do mm. that but I finally realized we're just the right size just the right size and one thing that really helps is is we have a density uh, much like a um, metropolitan area that really helps when we have 34 cust- average 34 customers per mile. But then being able to attract the top talent and put together a really robust plan to roll this out and being able to do it in phases, you know, everything you do in a startup business is not perfect. <laughs> and if you go in phases, you can learn from things that are not perfect and make it better in the next phase. So by the time the third or fourth phase comes out, you've really perfected your uh, processes in, in how to manage your business and serve your customers. So that's really been key to our success. Keeping it simple, keeping video out of it. It's not anything that we've worried about. I don't know that anybody's had sleepless nights except when we would lose uh, our connection from our, our providers mm-hmm. and our customers are without uh, broadband. But um, that's the only things that has ever kept us up. And, and that's something that's going to happen. But, you know, early on our business plan, we projected, you know, it would take us five years to have 2,500 customers. We did that in the first two or three years, and we said it would probably take four and a half or five years for us to be cash flow positive. That happened in 18 months. And so everything that we planned for, we've beat all of our projections, and it's just it's been an incredible story. And again, nobody was coming to provide this service to our community. And we've been able to do that and do it really, really well. And our customers really appreciate that. And and just to finish up with that, you also, I think, you don't have any debt, do you? We do not have any debt for our fiber system. We had a small loan early on uh, for some cash flow. And when we transitioned to an authority, instead of carrying that debt over, we just paid that off and, and got that out of the way. So we're debt-free and... and uh, building up some uh, cash reserves that are going to be able to do some other great things for our community that we're working on. So we're excited about, about the future. That's great. And I know 
way across the state, a million miles away from you is Clarksville, where um, they I know they've used their um, revenues from their um, system to do quite a lot of interesting things. So there's a, a bright future there when you have that uh, the cash flow to be creative. So I'm looking forward to seeing what you do. And I really appreciate your time today. Thanks, Chris. Always good to catch up with you. That was Christopher talking with Lee Brown, president and CEO of Irwin Utilities. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was episode 431 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.